Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about smart capital management with Dallas-based commercial banker, Ryan Friend. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. All right, back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And today I have a, a special guest. Uh, I've known my guest Ryan uh, today for a while, like back at a previous company. But today he's a he's a big dog over at a local bank. And, and I want to have him on because, um, like, to today I think it's a competitive advantage for you as a business owner uh, if you're dealing with a like local bank and a banker that can make decisions right and 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 because i've you know i've 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 worked with different bankers and i have i interact with different bankers and it's just you get a different level of um uh knowledge understanding um underwriting when you're dealing with a smaller when you're dealing with a banker at a smaller bank they can actually like make real decisions right versus you know i'll pick on uh i'm not gonna pick on a specific bank but like a huge bank you know, where they don't even lend to reg- to folks like us for the most part. Like we're we're like a drop in a profit statement. Uh, you know, you don't get the same kind of service. So I want to have him on because um, they do use, they do some unique things, and I know him, and I know he's a good banker. So thanks for coming on, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Philip. Pleasure to be here. Um, so let's let's talk about your origin story. Uh, how'd you how'd you get into banking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma born and raised and grew up there and, and went to college in South Carolina, met a girl, chased her back to Texas. Uh, and so Dallas has been home ever since. Um, I started out in, in financial services uh, uh, with, with you, Philip, a financial rep at Northwestern Mutual, um, majored in business in school, always enjoyed personal finance and numbers and and so uh, got connected with the folks at Northwestern. And that's where I started. And and work there for almost five years, uh, built up an insurance business and was chasing folks around town, trying to help them. And so I look back on that time, actually uh, learned a tremendous amount um, and taught me how to meet people and um, develop a business and why it was such a tough business on one hand. Um, it really it really makes you appreciate uh, just those relationships that y- you develop with folks. And so um, I got a call one day just unexpectedly from actually a client I had um, who was an insurance client that had a local private equity firm in the Metroplex, and he was raising capital for a community bank that was based out of my hometown of Tulsa, uh, but that also had a Dallas operation. And uh, he, he asked if I'd be interested in visiting with them uh, about joining their private banking operation. Uh, he knew me pretty well. He knew I didn't have a background in banking, but they were looking for somebody that was a little different. They had bankers that had come through training, but at the time they didn't really have anybody um, who under understood kind of the, the the private banking and personal finance background, but they really knew how to sell and develop business and beat the streets. And so uh, I joined on um, just kind of unexpectedly. Uh, it was actually doing okay and 
in somewhat enjoying things at, at Northwestern. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say I loved it, but, um, was doing fine. And, and so, I, but I was intrigued on the banking side and kind of just took a leap and went in and, and, and did training and, um, kind of the rest was history. I, they were very generous to me to both let me go out and try to find business at the same time, put me through a kind of a, a year and a half crash course, um, on training to become a banker, which was really, really helpful. So that was back in 2011 and been in it ever since. Man, that 10 years went by quick. That was, did. yeah, man, that was fast. So one of the things I try, I try to do on the podcast is educate people on, on money, finance. And really what I want to go deep on is like, this next question is how the system works. Because I think of, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the subdivide between the have and have nots and it's big, but I think it's a big reason is just not understanding like how the system was 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 built, right? Obviously, there's injustices, and you know we're going to rectify those over time. But I think we can control what we can control, and I just want to educate folks on, hey, here's how the system works, and it was designed to work this way, and we got to just be on the right side of the system. So, so how does like capitalism like work in your mind? I think it's a, a great question. I was thinking about this last night, just just preparing to, to visit with you. And what struck me about capitalism was just how cool I think America is, like big, big picture. You know, we, we certainly have a lot of challenges today. You know, you mentioned the haves and haves nots. That's a that's a huge one. But in my mind, it's still an, an amazing country, uh, the best in the world where somebody can come. And if they play their cards right, if they're given the right opportunity, if they can work hard and in some other factors too, I, you know, they have an opportunity to, to do really cool things. There's not a government entity, at least that I know of, that's going to say, hey, if you get to a certain size, it become, now becomes property of the state, right? Some of these other countries. So I still think America has a lot to offer big picture on just making it happen. And we see examples of that every day. Fill up your business. You know, you, you went out and started your own deal. And growing it, it's coming with hard work. You see, you know, it's been amazing stuff all the time. You know, Musk doing his thing at Tesla, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think big picture, I think it's really cool how it works. Boy, I don't know what what I think I can talk about is just what I see through my lens as a banker. Um, I don't know if this is how it works, but it's what I see. And what I see is um, is really the foundation of it all is relationships. Uh, before I got into banking. I really didn't know much about it. I certainly didn't know how it works. And maybe my perception was you've got these big banks out there and they kind of like go out and select, all right, we're going to do business with these people or these people and lend them money or help them out or whatever. And my, my, uh, my opinion has changed a lot. And that is um, a lot of our best clients, they, they come to us and other banks when they're, um, when they're starting their business or really looking to grow their business and they ask for help. Um, and so I, I would say, um, you know, how it works is it starts with a conversation and, um, and that leads to education that leads to brainstorming and, and that ultimately leads to kind of getting people connected and companies connected with sources of capital, whether that be equity or debt, uh, resources of, folks that can help them in their business. And, uh, but it all goes back to a relationship. Um, the other thing I would say is teamwork, uh, I think is a big part of capitalism out there. Um, pe- some people, someone has an idea 
but a lot of times it doesn't come to fruition without um, pretty cool teamwork. That could be teamwork in a company, you know, key employees that have skill sets that a visionary or a founder doesn't, and they they get together and they play to their strengths. You see teamwork happening between um, business owners and their in their capital sources, whether it be equity fund, a person that's got capital, a strategic partner, public private partnerships. You see a lot of cities, um, states, even the federal government getting involved in an equity position with a business or a great idea. And then you see banks that provide debt, and we 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 uh, partner with clients, and it's teamwork. When it really works well, it is a teamwork relationship rather than an adversary relationship. You know, they're asking us, hey, how can I grow? I'm trying to get here, um, but I don't exactly know how. Can you help me figure that out in 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 a really good way that's, that's achievable? So I think teamwork, uh, I think relationships, and I would say the third um, that's always struck me is corporate governance. Um, America, I think, has... Um, pretty cool corporate governance laws compared to what I kind of hear about some of the rest of the world. You know, you take a Russia, um, I'm not really sure about China, but other companies, you know, you hear about a lot of self-dealing and things like that. And not a lot of respect or, or guardrails around just corporate governance. In America, there's enough protections to a business owner from their partners, their colleagues, and that can really help preserve a great idea of a company and keep it in the hands of the owners where they can really uh, see out their vision. And so I think that's, we take it for granted. It doesn't mean anything to us a lot, but but a lot of countries just don't have that mm-hmm. and it's corrupt. And the second some good idea gets off the ground and gets swept right out from under them as people reach in there and it never gets to, it never gets to become what it could be. And so um, big, big picture. That's, that's kind of how I view capitalism. Yeah, no. And that's actually a great answer. And I, and I, um, and I want to tee up the second part. I meant this teed up in the, in the first part and, but, but you kind of covered it. It's like, um, so I've, I've been doing episodes that have been talking about the power of networks, right? I mean, I think, I think networks are where like money is made. Right. And so, you know, like you, and I and I wasn't even talking about networks in the context of like relationships, but that is one network. But I just mean like in the economy, you have people that that have savings, and businesses that 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 need those savings to grow their business to make to make the community uh, quality of life better, right? And so for for hundreds of years, banks have sat at the at the intersection of that neighborhood, right? But bank banks are where those savers and those businesses. Um, you know, connect as a network uh, to to efficiently provide that capital, and I just think that's um, like it sounds super simple, right? To 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 me and you because we're in finance, but I think I mean I think that's it, right? So 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 as a, as a business owner, learning how to uh, how the system is set up, and then you say, okay, I need to learn how to get capital, how to make capital want me, right? That gives you a huge leg up because there, I mean, there's literally, I mean. John D. Rockefeller, master of getting capital, right? Um, you know, Henry Ford, master of getting capital. J.P. Morgan, capital provider. You know, Jeff Bezos, you know, t- uh, heck, Elon Musk. You know, all these guys are great business guys, but if they didn't have capital, you know, like... <laughs> That's right. It's not happening. That's right. I mean, you know, I think, you know, maybe growing up, you kind of think, wow, like somebody's got a great idea how they get their business to where it is. Well, most of the time, it's not like that person had the idea, then they had all the money, 
and they just did it all themselves, right? It, very rarely is that ever the case. It, it's mostly it's someone's got an idea where they got a skill set that's awesome. They got to go get help. They got to find capital someplace. They got to bring somebody else in that knows something a lot about to help them. They don't know anything about. So it's teamwork. And uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think banks have a long way to go in just um, helping our communities and educating our communities on how to best approach that teamwork. We're not doing a good enough job. Most people, there's no way you would know. Like, how, how do you go talk to a bank? You know, unless you've been like your parents drug you in growing up or something, you know, and you had some, you know, your parents worked in the industry or something, you had a uh, an insight into it, you know, it'd be, it's intimidating. It's like you just walk in and how does this whole thing work? And so um, we got to do a better job of getting the word out there that we don't bite, that we're friendly, we want to partner, we want to collaborate, we want to brainstorm. And what the result of that ends up sometimes being a, an opportunity, or maybe it's not a fit for the bank. And we say, but you know what? You need to go talk to this other client of ours because they can help you directly. And that's what you need better than us. They're going to do a better job. So that's part of the education process too. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We'll go to the next question. So cost of capital, right? I want to, I want to break this term down because um, I I did a, a, a show the other week with a guy we we're talking about right when you when you get capital you can give you got you got friends and family but then next layer you have investors and then you have debt and we were talking about how a lot of folks just run to investors because like that's what they see on Silicon Valley and TV and will celebrate it but it's like expensive capital right so can you t- can you talk about how you think through you know cost of capital and how you see other smart businesses business operators use um, use money wisely. Yeah, it's a great, great question, Philip. And just kind of looking, you know, thinking about our our day to day conversations with business owners. We talk about this a lot, and it it it's one of the kind of starting points of the conversations. Is tell us how your business is capitalized. You know, tell us about the ownership. How'd you get to where you are now? And um, you got it. It's equity versus debt. You know, it's kind of the two broad sources of capital, and they all have pros and cons. And so, you know, it's very easy to just talk about cost. Well, you know, equity may cost 12% and debt may cost 5%. And so it's easy to think, well, it's easy. You know, debt's a lot cheaper. Uh, That's the easy answer. But a lot of times that's just one component and it's not the right way to go. So I think if you were to break down the way to to compare it in my mind, you got to think about cost is certainly one. That's one big consideration. But I think the other is really breaking down what are the pros and cons to all sides of it. A couple other things to think about is time is a huge part of it. What is the time spend that you'll have with the bank? What is the time spend you would have with equity partners? And which which what are you going to get for your time? I think is is it is the third critical component. So you've got cost, you've got time, and then what do you get from your partner? So um, it's not. I think. You know, I think the really the guys that I see who do this really, really well, they focus a ton on the time and uh, and what they're going to get in return in addition to just the money. And so, um, like, for instance, let's say debt is cheaper than equity, but a particular equity partner brings expertise into your business that the bank can't provide. Maybe the the founder of the fund or the individual knows a ton about that business, or they have the ability to bring sales and revenue that a bank couldn't. That is so much more valuable than 
than um, than the savings you would get by having debt because you have a strategic partner who's invested in the business in the form of they got to get paid back um, or they want to re- they want the best return on their equity. So they're sitting on the same side of the table as you. That can be just invaluable to a business owner. Um, you know, a bank, um, you know, I, I spoke earlier, you know, we don't do a good enough job of educating. And, and this, this person, a deal, you know, like when we make a loan, you know, that's how we get, that's how we make money. That's how we get paid. But what we, what we should be doing as well is coming alongside our, our customer and, and saying, how can we support you in your business beyond just providing a loan? Uh, can we help train your staff on um, your, your finance staff on um, balance sheet management, income statement management, um, provide accounting resources, uh, provide um, just capital markets resources uh, as you compare and contrast different ways to buy equipment or lease equipment, things like that. Can we connect you to our clients that are in similar industries so you can compare notes? What are we doing to help beyond just providing a deal? And so I think if I was to advise a, a business owner on weighing the cost of capital, I, I'd have I'd advise them to sit down and look at all those factors, time, money, and, and what are you going to get from your partners hmm. uh, to help you grow your business? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. That's, that's a good way to think about it. So pledged assets, loans. So this is this is this is the sophisticated stuff, right? This is the stuff where, when done right, this can take your wealth to multiple levels, right? But it could also like destroy people, right? Their wealth if done irresponsibly and wrong. Can you talk about you know pledging pledging assets? And, and, and by the way, like sometimes you just have to do it. But but my point is, I see I, I I'm, I'm using this um, question. To talk about pledged asset loans because um, we have a mutual client who does it, and I've seen people do it like really, really, really well and leverage their balance sheet like a pro. Can you talk more about pledged asset loans and how they fit into a wealth building plan? You know, a, a pledged asset loan or line of credit is a um, is a loan secured by liquid collateral, which is is typically either. Um, Marketable securities uh, in a in a brokerage account like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, um, and or um, like cash value inside permanent life insurance policies is another is another common collateral source that folks will pledge to secure their line. But um, either way, it, it's just a, a a line of credit that a borrower can use really for whatever they want. Um, it's very flexible and it's very cost efficient. Kind of a, a, a cousin to it that people are more familiar with seems to be a home equity line of credit. Somebody's got a lot of equity in their home. Uh, they'll get a HELOC, maybe redo a bathroom, put in a pool, you know, pay for some college tuition, stuff like that. It's it's cheap, it's well collateralized um, and it's flexible. So it's very handy for families. Same thing with pledged asset lines, just a different type of collateral. They're not real estate secured. They're secured by by those uh, liquid investments. And so um, pretty easy to set up. Um, you, know, you got a form that that you sign and, and uh, the place where the assets are held documents and gets it all set up with the bank. And, and then the owner can just use that money when they need it. I'd say there's two kind of buckets or ways people use that money typically. Uh, one bucket is 
folks use it for alcohol for life, like all things in life. They say, you know, sometimes things pop up. You got to pay for a wedding. I got to, maybe I'm a business owner and I have a great year, but I have a big tax bill due and um, I have cash flow timing situation. So I need to draw on my line to write the check. And then I've got cash flow coming in next month. I'm going to pay it down. So life events that are timing, paying for it uh, uh, timing wise, um, having a pledged asset line can allow you flexibility to avoid doing things that you would otherwise not want to do just to make timing of something. Like for instance, if you have a large tax bill due, okay, you know, the cash is a little tight right now, but I've got um, a good chunk of money invested in the market with Philip. You call Philip and you say, hey, sell every sell a big <laughs> chunk and I got to pay this bill over here. Philip's like, all right, but you know, you're going to get a tax bill for this amount and capital gains. You know, it's not ideal. We'll do what we got to do. If you had a pledged asset line, you could draw on the line, not have to sell your stocks, take the tax hit. So from that standpoint, it's very handy from a timing uh, event to address life issues. Bridge financing, it's short-term in nature. Uh, so that's the one bucket. The other bucket is um, is a little bit more strategic, uh, and that's just a client that has liquidity that they can invest elsewhere. They can, maybe it's they want to invest in their business, or they want to buy a real estate investment property. Um, and so they start to look at their balance sheet and say, okay, where am I going to pull the equity from to make this investment? I've got cash. I've got marketable securities. Again, they're invested in the market. Or I've got cash and insurance policy. And people start going down the road, right? I'm going to take money out of the market or or whatever. But if if they've got a pledged asset line, they can draw on that, let their other liquidity continue to work for them according to their plan. And then they have access to that capital to go make that investment strategically like that. And so some people have been able to, to kind of responsibly use leverage with a pledged asset line uh, to provide a return to them in their business or investment activities. So that's pretty cool to see. You know, you, you, you do got to be careful if somebody's making a very, very long-term investment. A lot of times it's better to do that with a long-term loan that's collateralized specifically by that investment rather than a pledged asset line. But um, it just is a great way to have flexibility for folks and, and gives them more options from which to choose from. So, so in the banker's mind, what what do you consider short term, and what do you consider long term? The life events are short term. The uh, short term real estate investments, like like construction, for instance, um, where you're going to put put a property up for sale in a in a year, year and a half, or something like that, um, or or even less. That's short term. Um, maybe it's uh, you know you need to buy. Um, a piece of equipment in your business and it's going to pay for itself in a year or something like that. Oh, it's kind of short term. I'd say one to two years mm -hmm. uh, max. Beyond that, it's going to be much more efficient to probably put it on some kind of an amortizing long-term loan, which a real estate loan or an equipment loan or something like that. It's tied to the life of that asset. Got it. Got it. So we, so we, we won't, we won't see, um, we won't see banks like traditional banks offering loans against, Bitcoin anytime soon, right? <laughs> I'm sure somebody's already already trying to figure out how to make that happen. You yeah, know, that, Bitcoin's yeah, that, a hot thing. There's actually already a bank, uh, a, a big bank that uh, I think it has like 260 million, which is not a ton, but I forget the name of the bank uh, that already announced 
they're going to do it because they, they do it in the in the in the crypto world, but it's it's short term mm-hmm. in nature, like you mentioned. But this is okay. like the first traditional bank that's not in the crypto world. I was like, oh man, this is happening faster than what I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's happening so fast. I can I can guarantee you that if uh, if if there's a lot of value in an asset, and and certainly it appears that there's a tremendous amount of value already now in Bitcoin and growing rapidly. Someone's going to try to figure out how to lend money against it. It's just a, it just seems like uh, how it works in this world. Yeah, yeah. And this rolls into our next question. Uh, what are the attributes of assets back banks like to give investors money for? So in the context of like pledged asset loans. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll answer that in two ways. So, you know, directly just, you know, how do we think about collateral as an asset that backs a loan? But then I'll also talk a little bit about just what else do we look for when we make a loan. Um, but you know, on, on collateral on an asset that backs something, we really look at can it be valued? How easily can it be valued? Banks, whether it's real estate or accounts receivable or inventory or equipment, it's kind of the the big four things that you know the uh, top four things we take collateral on. Then again. We just talked about marketable securities, things like that. But those things we can all value really easily. Um, real estate has an appraisal. Um, inventory gets appraised too. Marketable securities and, and insurance that they you can appraise those with a simple statement. You know, so it's very easy. And uh, so, how do, can it be valued? And can it be valued easily? Is a big part. The other thing is what is um, what's the liquidity for that asset. So if we ever had to foreclose and take it back, uh, banks, banks don't like to foreclose. We're not in the foreclosure business <laughs> and we don't want to own collateral. It's the last thing we want to do. It's, it, it, it's time consuming, believe it or not. It's expensive. We don't want to manage it. We don't have space for it. And we're not real estate people or, uh, investment advisors and it's not what we're good at. So we try to get rid of it as quickly as possible. So how quickly can we sell? that piece of real estate or all these commercial bolts that we take back from a bolt manufacturer, something like that. And so how liquid is that, is that collateral? And, and sometimes, you know, if, if we're like, man, there's no market for this or the market is very frothy or weird, or we can't get our arms around it. Uh, that's where banks have trouble lending against stuff is it's just too, you just can't do anything with it. It's not worth anything if you had to liquidate it quickly. So that's what we look at. Okay. No, good to, good to know. And so, um, last question, the most important question. What's your favorite sport? Everybody who knows me would say, uh, say tennis. I, I played college tennis, went to college on a tennis scholarship, played it um, really since I was about nine or 10 years old. Love it and still love it. But, you know, I, I, I grew up playing so many sports. I was a sports nut as a kid, played baseball, basketball, football, uh, tennis and golf. Baseball was my first love. And so um, at, to play, but I would say my favorite sport now to play and watch is golf. Hmm. And so tennis would be kind of a close second, but I also love college football. So, I mean, it, really anything with sports, I can, I can have some fun. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a football, I'm a social football guy. I realized last night, my wife is a real football, you know, woman. Cause she stayed up for the draft last night. I went to bed. I was Did like, she really? My, my, like my wife nice. got, I didn't watch football but until I married my wife. Like her and her mom are die hard. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll watch it like on Sundays, but 
you know. Who's their team? Are they Cowboys fans? Well, so uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm a. I'm a Saints fan, and so she's fifty fifty, right? She's fifty percent Saints and fifty percent Cowboys. When I met her, she was one hundred percent Cowboys, and I tried for a season, and uh, and just got super annoyed at 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 um just the 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 the, the way that they do things do things here and so i was like no nah, let me go let me go uh, uh let me go for the saints that's awesome bill did you grow up playing sports i grew up playing basketball um did a little bit of martial arts i never played football i was mo- i was m- mostly a basketball guy you know okay so um yeah oh, that's a fun one that yeah. is a fun one it's i've got i've got young boys now they're five and eight so it's kind of fun to to see what they what they're getting, like having fun with and enjoying, start to see them get after it. It's a blast. Yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm definitely glad we got these vaccines because it killed our season last year. Seasons, yeah, he missed like three seasons. Tough year for everyone last year. It's so nice to to kind of finally be getting back out there. I hope that the rest of the country and just all of our friends and family and everybody can get can get out there too and get back on with life. So we all need it. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing because you, you, um, uh, you broke this down well. And I, you know, I again, I hesitated about doing the episode on this because it, it's it it seems to people like us like so basic. But as you know, and I know, a lot of folks don't know. And, and even in the conversation, I mean, I even learned further on some some stuff that um, I thought I knew, and you know, it kind of more clarified on like the specifically like types of assets the banks are looking for and what you can easily value. So. Um, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure. And, and, uh, you know, um, uh, wish you guys the best on these podcasts. Let me know if I can ever help. Sounds, sounds good. How can everybody reach you if they're interested in, in, in getting more information? Yeah. Give, give me a call. Uh, my cell phone's 214-454-6069. It's the best way to reach me. And, and, um, I'm happy to help any way I can. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time. And the decision making process around what you do with your stock based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost no obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested. To sign up for a time, go to my website, stonehillwealthmanagement.com, and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. Stonehillwealthmanagement.com. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. 
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.